When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I just want to feel alive with you. This is Higher Ground with Julian King. Yeah, hello everyone. Welcome along to Higher Ground this Monday, 16th of May for 2022. Julian King with you. And it is great to have your company this evening on 1170 Sydney, 1620 on the Gold Coast and via the SEN app. The open line number one 1170 one three hundred zero one eleven seventy, and the text line number stored in your phone if you haven't already. Oh four five seven seven three six seven three six. Want to get your thoughts on anything, anything going on in the world of sport? Some unpopular sporting opinions. Opinions got any of those? Hit me up tonight as well. And you know what? I'm going to start some who am I on Monday nights. A great prize to give away. You know what I'll do? I'll even give my first clue just before the first break, and I'll just drip feed them through the course of the first hour, so stay tuned for that. There is much to sink our teeth into tonight. I almost feel like three hours isn't enough. Anyway, we'll do our best, and I'm going to need your help. So joining me on the show tonight, Lachlan McCurdy from Code Sports will be along shortly for the weekend wash-up. James Paulson, he's the digital editor of the City Morning Herald. He'll join me on the next hour of the program to have a look at the back pages of tomorrow's SMH. And then Ian McCulloch, sports journal from the UK, will have his weekly UK report. Pat will be along as well for another bout of agree to disagree. Well, before we get to Magic Rounder, we do have to start with the big rugby league news of the day, and that being Trent Barrett. As you know by now, he has coached his last game for the Bulldogs. He parted way with the club this morning. And the Herald reports the decision was confirmed following a, a frenetic 24 hours of board discussions. He'd won five out of 34 games, Barrett, in charge of the Dogs since the start of 2021. Now, he was under contract until the end of next year. So Bulldogs directors, they were locked in a phone hookup early this morning. They discussed Barrett's future after that magic round loss to the Knights. And it was those talks which effectively sealed Barrett's fate. And players were notified that they would have a new coach in place for Friday night's clash with the Tigers. Now, there's a lot of fanfare about the Dogs. Huge recruitment drive at the start of the season. And many expected them to climb the ladder. Addo Carr, Matt Burton, Tavita Pangai Jr., Matt Dufty, Paul Vaughan, Brent Naden. Braden Burns, all near to the kennel. But you look at their performances this year, a narrow first round win over the Cowboys, and that was an awful game of football. Good win over the Roosters, and that's it for the opening 10 rounds. Then this magic round collapse against the Knights, which followed a demoralising loss to the Raiders. Well, that was enough. That was enough for the directors who were growing increasingly frustrated with the performance of Trent Barrett. So a planned media session this morning was cancelled. There were a number of players who were due to speak to reporters. It's his second NRL club, Trent Barrett. He walked out unmanly with a year to run in his contract. He took them to the finals once in three seasons. Now, you remember Dean Pay was sacked by the Dogs at the back end of, of 2020. Moved quickly and Barrett. Pay's win-loss ratio was almost twice as good as Trent Barrett's. I, I feel for Trent, I do. I feel for anyone who loses their job. And coaching in particular is, is a really cutthroat business. Had a vastly improved roster. And I think they expected more out of 
this current crop than the output that they've turned out so far. And yes, you can make a case that he needs a whole year with a new team. Maybe so, maybe so. But uh, it's not so much the losses, but more the insipid nature of many of their performances. A couple of gallant losses, you go, okay, yeah, but I mean, that loss to Canberra, no good. The loss to New, they were just, they were so bad on Friday night. So bad. So now Baz is gone. Plenty of questions that need to be answered. Plenty. Who will coach in the interim and who will coach long-term? That's a question. Two questions. What does it mean for the future of Matt Burton, who reportedly was there to play under Barrett? And the question a lot of people are speculating on, how much influence did Phil Gould have in that decision? It was only recently he backed the coach in his podcast. He said, oh, Barrett will be the coach long after he's gone. He's the long-term coach. Things took a turn really quickly at Belmore. Now, Gus has been distanced from the process. You know, it was a board decision, that sort of thing. It would, it, you know what? It, it would be naive to think that someone as powerful as Phil Gould wouldn't have had a say. Because, you know, historically, Gus has been influential over coaches at other clubs. The cynics certainly suggest that he had something to do with it and just keeping his hands clean. So Certainly, that is the view of the NRL 360 guys. Maybe it'll all come out in the wash. Maybe it won't. But how much influence did Gus have in that decision? So who's the next in line? David Riccio said on this network, Christian Wolstein keeps bombing up as a potential replacement. Now, Gus is due to appear on Channel 9's 100% footy tonight. Once he speaks, we'll bring that audio to you because it has been reported in the Herald that he said he thinks the next coach has to be an experienced coach. So maybe that rules the line through Christian Wolf. Shane Flanagan's an experienced coach. Oh, I'm not convinced it'll be Shane Flanagan. If you're Cameron Serraldo, not an experienced coach, but widely considered the next cab off the rank, who could probably pick and choose at the moment, not in a manner not dissimilar to what Fitzgibbon did. But if you're Serraldo, do you touch the Bulldogs' job if it's offered to you? We're all speculating at the moment. You may have a thought on that. And who's going to take over the remainder of the year? I see Mick Potter's name has been mentioned in dispatches. David Thurner being the assistant, you'd think would take over. Who knows? We'll, we'll find out pretty quickly. Anyway, I mentioned Gus. Uh, we'll bring to you what he has to say on 100% footy, but he did speak today. He has distanced himself from Barrett's departure. Here's what he had to say. Really tough day for you, obviously. Yeah, it's been a tough few days. It's been a tough few weeks, actually. Um, but uh, It's never good, and uh, coach loses his job like this or has to force, feels he has to resign. It's, we all feel like we failed. How's Trent? Uh, spoke to him last night. He wasn't good, but um, he made the decision on his own terms. Uh, decided that's what he needed to do. Felt that he'd given his best, and he did. Um, he's a great coach. He's a terrific young coach. And highly respected here, but I think in the end, the pressure and the results probably got to him a little bit, and he decided to leave on his own terms. You know, it's, it's sad that it's come to this, but I think just the performances and the pressure and he just got to the feeling that probably he didn't have the solution to what was going wrong, and that's how he felt at the time. Um, and he made the decision on Sunday night. It was a bit of a roller coaster through Saturday and Sunday, but uh, late last night, after I finished the commentary on nine, um, rang and we had a long discussion. And, uh, yeah, it was a very difficult discussion, pretty raw. So um, poured his heart out a little bit. Uh, he, he put his heart into this job, and it's, it's sad the way it's ended, but. 
hopefully he finds a little bit of respite now, a little bit of peace. Well, when a coach loses his job or a coach feels he needs to resign from a job, everyone's failed. I said that to the players and the staff and everyone here today, and we all feel like we've failed. Um... All right, so that was Phil Gould earlier today. So the question I'll ask you, 0457 736 736, it's a text line, do you buy it? Do you buy it? He said, oh, Trent made the decision on his own terms. He called him a great coach, a great young coach. He left on his own terms. Do you believe Phil Gould? Do you think Trent just walked away and said, you know what, this is, I think it's the best thing in all parties' interest for me to, to walk away? Or is it window dressing? That's a carefully crafted response. You can say, oh, Trent, you're going to go, but, mate, before you get pushed, why don't you walk away? It looks more dignified. I think it's the latter. I'd love to know your thoughts, 0457. 736 736. How did you mark Magic Round? I thought it was a pretty decent weekend of footy. A few surprise results, which suggests I think the game's in good hands. And look, the weather was an annoyance, no doubt. But well done to the good people of Brisbane for turning out to the three day footy festival. Crowds are strong. Uh, that turnout, of course, marred by that really ugly, ugly brawl. Uh, there are just some idiots in this world. And they'll be dealt with by the hand of the law, and rightly so. It was ugly stuff. But on the field, there were some that really stood up. Let's go through the games. Uh, Friday night, Barrett's last game in charge of the Dogs. Canterbury was meek. They can't attack Canterbury. For a team that, on paper, looks like they've got these, a host of attacking weapons, they do not know how to score points. It was a game that didn't scale any great heights, nor did we really expect it to, for that matter. But they had nothing to attack the Dogs. Ponga was great for the Knights. Clune looked sharp. And as for his former teammate, Matt Dufty, I mean, my goodness. My goodness. As a former Dragons man, I want him to succeed. I, I really do, but he had a Barry Crocker interfere. Matt Dufty. Uh, Brisbane, well done to them on the other hand. Four wins in a row. 38 points to nil over Manly. And I thought there was a struck match in there, so I don't think anybody predicted that result. Not just putting on 38, but holding him to blot. And they did it so comfortably. Reynolds superb again. I knew he'd be good. I don't think anybody thought Adam Reynolds would be that good. And Selwyn Cobber, how good is this kid going to be? I know people are already talking up his origin chances. A hat trick for him is electric. And the thing I love about Cobbo is he plays like he's having fun. A lovely interview with Channel 9 afterwards. It was really wonderful to witness. Turbo looked a bit cooked, didn't he? It's like he was running on half tech. Apparently he had a cork. But they looked one-dimensional, manly. The Broncos had all the momentum. They got a few concerns, the Eagles. A few concerns. It's not going to get any easier for them. They got, I think, Parramatta next round. So Brisbane in seventh spot. Now, Brisbane are on the same number of competition points as Parramatta and Cronulla. So let that sink in. Brisbane are on the same number of cop points as Parramatta and Cronulla. Two teams that have been talked up this year as the main contenders outside the top two. So pretty solid company for the Brocks. Now, for a while, it, it looked like the Warriors were in for another hiding. It was 32-30 in the end in favour of the Rabbitohs. They led 26-0 south in the first half. Cody Walker had probably his best game of the season. Some nice combos with Alex Johnston, who just scores for fun. But it's the old cliche, isn't it, Pat? It's a game of two halves. The thing about it is, if you're a spectator, what sort of form line do you draw out of that match, really? South showed some glimpses. They're way off their best. Latrell can't return soon enough. And the Warriors demonstrated, look, they're not entirely hopeless, but you don't deserve to win when you surrender a lead like that. As Sean Johnson said as much full time. That last desperation play to crack at a two-point field goal. 
but there has to be heat remaining on Nathan Brown. As for my Dragons, they and all our fans are just going to rue that loss to the Titans. Uh, these are the games they should be winning St. George Illawarra, and they should have won that game. They should have won that game. They, they defended resolutely in the first half. There was a period, I think, Gold Coast had about 70% possession. They just kept getting you know, restarts and restarts and restarts, putting the ball in the end goal. They led 16-10 in the second half. Should have wrapped it up. Lomax missed a really easy conversion, which put it, would have put it out of reach for the Titans. They had a fifth-tackle penalty, gifted Gold Coast possession deep in the Dragons' territory. They score, send the game to Golden Point. And then the mistakes racked up because the completion rate in those conditions was, was very good by both sides. Sloan, Amon, Hunt all coughed it up. Sarko scores, the Titans win. Such is life. I see Tyrell Sloan copped a bit of nasty criticism online. That's all uncalled for. It was cowardly stuff. And yeah, he made a couple of mistakes. I, I thought the young kid had some nice carries. I'll tell you this much. You've got to persist with it. He looks far more threatening with the ball than M by at fullback. Now, to the game of the round, I know Melbourne without Pappenhausen. I know Jerome Hughes was a laid out. But despite their absence, I don't think many predicted it to go 32-6 Penrith's way. Isaiah Yo. I believe he's now top of the Dallium leaderboard. I'll give you those points later on this hour. A bloke is a beast. He's one of my favourite players, Isaiah. I love watching him play footy. But Penrith were just too quick and too dynamic. Kick are outstanding as well. Luai came to life. They just hit the ground running. Melbourne disappointing. Munster with that new eight-mile hairdo. Tried hard. He was their best. But apart from that, it just seemed a mismatch. Having said that, I'm prepared to write it off. A betting man, if you ask me who's going to win the comp, I'm still in Melbourne. I'm still on Melbourne. Now, look, I, I made a bold call in a special edition of High Ground Thursday night. I said, look, the specials of the week's got to be Cronulla. Got to be Cronulla. Isn't it funny how this game makes a fool of you? I mean, who saw that coming? Canberra, 30 points to 10. They won 30 points to 10. And at some point, they had three in the bin throughout the game too, the green machine. Nico Hines back at fullback probably had his worst game of the season for Cronulla. They defended their hearts out. Canberra, well done to them. But they showed up for the second half, which is rare. Zach Wolford, he's impressed many with his game. That That's set up for the Brad Schneider try. Lovely football. Cronulla looked flat. Uh, Fitzgibbon, he, he was actually a bit concerned at the Warriors game because they defended pretty much the whole game with 12 people and down to 11 at one stage. That had just energetically had taken a bit out of them, and it showed. And yeah, they got a poor record at Suncorp, the Sharks. I don't think many, though, expected them to lose that one to a Raiders team that has not been impressive this year. Now, I did say also on Thursday that the Roosters match was the sort of game that Para was likely to drop. They are such a Jekyll and Hyde football side. Well, they're a good team, the Roosters. And after the high of beating Penrith, I said, what are the chances Para will drop this game? I reckon there's a real chance they will. And so it went. 31-24 to Eastern Suburbs in the end. It looked like for a while that it was going to be pretty comfortable for the tricolours. They led 21-6 at the break. And then Paramount had a comeback. Three tries in 10 minutes. Uh, Moses was great. But the young guns that shone for the Roosters, Sam Walker, lovely touches, good ball player. Sawali's really growing into the side. Jared Warrior Hargraves was enormous, the veteran. And I reckon some of the other teams now, just looking at the Roosters and thinking that this side are just starting to find their mojo. Starting to get it back, which is a real worry for the rest of the competition. And how well are the Cowboys playing? 36 points at 12 over the Tigers. And the thing about the Cowboys, it's such an enjoyable side to watch. 
You could argue too, this is the thing about the Cows, you could argue looking through that team that just about all of their players are close to career best form. Close to career best form. And a number of it firmly entered the origin conversation. Murray Talungi, Reuben Cotter looks made for origin footy. Hammer. The poor Tigers, they've got massive injury concerns. They meet the coachless Bulldogs next week. The thing about it is, I mean, you couldn't back Canterbury for love nor money, but who do you tip in this? Brooks has a hammy problem. No Jake Simpkin, no Zane Mudgrove, Musgrove, no Tom McKayley. No Faluma's injured, Gilgart's injured, Kapoa's injured. And you think about Dane Laurie, Adam Dewey, James Roberts, Tommy Talao, Sean Bloor, all injured. Stings. Stings. And then, oh, just one more thing. The bloke that abused Jackson Hastings, you should be banned for life, you grub. So according to Tony Adams, I don't know if you saw this today, he allegedly threatened to kill Hastings' two younger sisters. Even mention them by name. That would have rattled me. It certainly rattled Jackson. What a piece of crap. It is foul, foul stuff. 0457 736 736. Look, to the sad news of the weekend, of course, that the death of, of Andrew Simons, who was killed in a car crash. He's, he's only 46. It was a single vehicle accident late on Saturday. And he's survived by, survived by his wife, Laura, and young children, Chloe and Billy. Queensland Peace police were investigating the crash. It occurred at Harvey Bay, about 50 clicks from Townsville. And the death came, what, two months, thereabouts, after the passing of Shane Warne at age 52. 26 tests for Australia at 40.61. 24 wickets. Could bowl offies, could bowl median paces. And everyone remembers that 162-knot 2008 Sydney test, that game that would later be mired in controversy over the Monkey Gate affair. And he had that wonderful 100 as well. Boxing day with his good mate Matt Hayden. And that was the thing that sent him on a downward spiral. So Simon's had accused Harbhajan Singh of calling him a monkey, a trigger to war of words between the two teams. Then India said, we're going to return home after Harbhajan was initially suspended for three games. He was a crowd favourite. He was ahead of his time. He was the T20 player before people knew what it was. And I remember 2003, 143 against Pakistan, the opening match of that tournament in Joburg. He wasn't meant to be there. It's only because Warney was suspended because of a drugs controversy. And it was Ricky Ponty that backed him. He said, I want Simons in my team. And he paid him back in spades. I remember, it's funny how you go through all the old footage. And there's this shoddy clubbed wacko Eunice. It was almost like a daisy cutter. It was a six. It was so flat. And I just thought, my God, the power of this bloke. Sailed over the long on boundary for six. It's just horrible news. I'm not sure how much more of the cricket world can take of all this stuff. So SEN over in the West, Adam Gilchrist and Tim Gossage on their breakfast show. They had Darren Lehman and Justin Langer on this morning to reflect on the life and career of, of Andrew Simons. I'll play that for you in the last hour of the program. It's pretty moving stuff. But, yeah, that ton in the 03 World Cup, wonderful stuff. Uh, we need to get to a break. We're running over time. Just quickly in the world game, we love Ange Postacoglu. We'll have a bit more about that to say as well. Sam Kerr scored twice for Chelsea as they defeated Man City in the FA Cup. Thriller of a match too. She can do no wrong. And well done to Liverpool for claiming the FA Cup. 0457 736 736. That is the text line number. If you want to give me a call, feel free. 1300 01 1170. What's your unpopular sporting opinions tonight? Who's going to coach Canterbury? Anything else you want to talk about? Now, 
I did say I'd do this before the first break. Here's our first clue for who am I. I'll drip, three, drip feed these as well throughout the rest of the hour. Who am I? This is clue number one. I was born in Laidley, Queensland in 1970. You watch this, Pat. They'll go rush to Google. I was born in Laidley, Queensland in 1970. It's the first clue for tonight's Who Am I? If you know what it is, have a guess on the text line 0457 736 736. Bryce coming your way. Julian King up and running on a Monday night and higher ground on SEN. Great to have your company. We'll take our first break on the other side of that. The weekend wash-up with Lockie McCurdy from Code Sports. Yeah, great to have your company this Monday night. Uh, thank you to everybody that's texted in so far. I'll rip through all those text messages in a moment. 0457 736 736. Hey, I've got a New South Wales State of Origin scarf to give away. First clue for who am I? I was born in Laidley, Queensland in 1970. If it's not enough, I'll give you a couple more in the next 15, 20 minutes or so. 0457 736 736. Time to catch up with Lachlan McCurdy from Code Sports as we do in each and every Monday for the weekend wash-up. He's on the line right now. Evening, Lachlan. Hello, Julian. How's it going? Going very well. Jeez, we thought, okay, we'll just chat about Magic Round and then Rugby League's tossed up its first coaching casualty of the year. Now, it depends on who you believe. Did he walk? Was he pushed? Phil Gould has said it was a decision made on his own terms. Either way, Canterbury are in search for a new coach. Absolutely. I, look, I tend to, to think that it was Trent's decision. I mean, when you look at the results, sure, if you look at it over the long term, five wins, 34 matches, it's not great. But the signs were starting to show a little bit. Obviously, the Roosters win was a massive result for the Bulldogs, but disappointing against the Knights yet again. And I think just the the constant speculation wouldn't have helped with Baz. And from an external perspective, you look at the Bulldogs and even though they've recruited well 10 weeks in, we're yet to see a real improvement in the way that they play and that their style of play, that they haven't had these improvements. That We, we heard of what Baz did with Jerome Luai and Nathan Cleary as an attacking coach at Penrith as they have built into this juggernaut that they are now. But we just haven't seen that in a year and a half at the Bulldogs. And it's disappointing. And I guess he felt he had no other choice. Mm, mm. Like I said, it wasn't so much the losses, but I think the nature of the losses and some of the games have mm. been so insipid. You know, people could make excuses last year and, and maybe you could make a case that he needed an entire year. And, you know, with Reid Marnie and kick out due to arrive at the club, well, did he need more time to turn around the fortunes? But uh, they weren't showing much on the park in that game against, you know, the inspired win against the Roosters. Now, people are going to say, well, that was that was the weekend where Phil Gould took the clipboard. Now, Gould <laughs> has distanced himself from this, but those in the know will say, well, every club that he's been involved with, Gus, he's had a pretty hands-on approach when it's come to the coaches. Mm. So, anyway, we'll see. He's going to speak uh, later tonight on 100% footy. He did say, it was uh, mentioned in the nine pages, but he did say, Gus, that the next coach would have to be experienced. So there's a bit of chatter about Christian Wolf, bit of chatter about Cameron Serraldo. You think if the next coach is experienced, that would put the pen through those two gentlemen. So the question there is, well, who are the experienced coaches on the market at the moment? Shane Flanagan, Paul Green, who else is there? Well, Paul Green's the one that I think there's been a... I wouldn't say talk about it, but I would just say that there's been a few people who have thrown his name into the ring, and we, we know he's a great coach. We know he's someone who is great at building a team and motivating a team when they're not going well. I mean, obviously, you look at... He obviously won a premiership with the Cowboys, but that 2017 run in particular stands out when they had injuries no throughout the squad. They yeah. Scraped, yeah, they scraped into the eight, and they still 
made that magic run through to the grand final. And while they, they were beaten against a, a better Storm team on the day, it was still remarkable the way they went about it. So I, I think if you're looking for a coach who has that experience to to work and, and solidify a group and really get a, a team culture going, I, I think he'd be the one that, well, it, look, I'm sure Gus, Gus knows a lot more than I do, but if I was having a look, he'd be the first guy I'd be getting on the phone at the moment in terms of who's in the market. Do you believe in bounce back factor? See, I always see a pattern, right, with with teams that lose their coaches or sack their coaches, then all of a sudden they play well the following week because it's almost the player's way of saying, hey, it wasn't us. We weren't the reason we're playing so badly. Look, we're going to win this game. Having said that, I mean, given the Tigers' injury, I actually don't know who's going to win this game on Friday night (laughs) between Canterbury and West, honestly. Yeah, it's one of those strange ones that in recent years you've had the Tigers who – can be up and down in terms of form, but whenever they're they're favoured to win at Leichhardt Oval, things just sort of fall apart even more. It's been a really strange trend that's emerged. But in terms of the bounce back factor, it's a really interesting thing. It's going to be uh, one of the articles I'm actually working on uh, for Code later this week in terms of looking at over the last sort of ten years, coaches sort of coming mid season and and what impact they've actually had. And look, I'll tell you this for free that based on the early numbers that I've looked at and why. That may not believe in bounce back. I believe in the numbers. It's not great for coaches that come in halfway through a season. It's not <laughs> yeah. always a, an immediate result turner. Uh, you're in a hiding to nothing. I'm a Dragons fan. I'm a mm. poor old Dean Young. Anyway, I think they're long gone. Well, having <laughs> said that, I mean, your mob punched out or Johnny Morris got sacked. And Josh Hanno, I thought, was pretty reasonable, wasn't he? Um, and now, Yeah, they... Uh, it really depends on the players and what sort of performances they put in. But you can do whatever you want with the coaching staff. But if the players aren't performing, there's not much you can do. Hey, look, you know your Sharks went down. My Dragons went down. So we won't mention them at all. Just before we get <laughs> off the footy, anyone impress you from Magic Round on the weekend? I thought the Cowboys, again. I mean, just even though, again, like you said, it's a Tigers team who probably aren't going to be there towards the end of the year. And we don't really know what we're expecting from them week in, week out, just the way they went about the match again, where they had the Tigers kind of hang on early. They were pushing them. They were they were making them work hard for it, but they just came through at the other side. I mean, beyond that, Murray Tualagi, incredible offload. Oh, that freakish. Was something, something special. But yeah. just, you've got Chad Townsend winning his 2016 Premiership winning form in terms of try assists and just marshalling the team around. Val Holmes is in career best form at centre and you've got guys like Scotty Drinkwater, Tommy Dearden who weren't wanted at other clubs and now are performing strongly. And oh, Jeremiah Nanai, he is incredible when you put the ball up in the air. Yeah, yeah, that's just remarkable. Yeah, I think Queensland fans are salivating at the moment. They're looking at this generation next and thinking, you know what, it may not be a huge yep. drought before we're back in the winner's circle. Reuben Cotter just looks made for origin, doesn't he? There's something about the way he plays and he's so versatile. Definitely. As well. Now, uh, of course, you know, just I don't know how much more of this news, uh, not just the cricketing world, but in Australian sport can take. We woke up to that horrible news on Saturday morning about Andrew Simons passing away in the car accident age 46. And the thing about it is, I mean, I'm a little older than you, but when he first came on the scene, everybody marveled at this guy because he had this sort of T20 sensibility and T20 capability but we didn't really know that version of the game. And, and he was just next level. I don't think we appreciated his skill set or how good he actually was as an all-round cricketer in all forms and in all facets of the game that he showed at that time. Mm. He was just someone who was never too caught up in 
being told how to play the game. He, he wanted to play cricket in a way that he loved, which was hanging around with his mates, having a good time. Um, obviously, as you kind of said a bit earlier in the show, Gilly spoke a bit about it on radio this morning and also yesterday about how he was just someone who trained hard, he played hard, partied hard, repeat. That was just his ethos, I guess, when playing cricket. And he just did it to the highest level even though he didn't have the distinguished test career that he probably should have in the long run he will be remembered as someone who made the most of those opportunities when it counted obviously you look at the 2003 world cup that innings against pakistan he he wasn't set to be in the team but ricky ponting fought hard for him to be included and when the team was down and out with everything that happened with shane warren the, the night before he came out australia was struggling top order had failed he came out and produced one of the most remarkable world cup centuries we've seen and they went on to, to win that tournament undefeated. It, it's just, there's so many memories of that that you look back with a smile on your face and go, wow, that, I remember that innings. That was a great innings. So many people have scored centuries for Australia. And you go, yep, that was a, a quality knock. But every time you think back to those game-changing moments from Andrew Simons, they put a smile on your face because he either celebrated it with such passion that you just couldn't help but be caught up with it, or it genuinely changed the game for Australia. And I think that's that's how he will be remembered and it's just as you said it's it's been really hard to, to deal with this because we've lost two of the greatest cricketing characters of the modern era in the space of a couple of months and yeah it's just it's heartbreaking mm. like i said he you know he didn't care about the money he just wanted a full tank of petrol or enough gas for the boat and, and a case of beer and, and he was a happy man andrew simons you know when you go to, to games of cricket and say the one days, and you'd see them warming up beforehand. And just the way this guy threw his body around, he, he's, oh. he was like a jungle cat. It was just incredible. You know, if Ricky, out of the Aussies, Ricky Ponting's probably the best fielder I've seen. I reckon Simons is a very close second. He, he was a freak. Imagine standing at the crease and looking to your offside, Ponting at point, Simons at cover, and just yeah. going, well, I can't hit it there. There's no point. I'm not going to get off strike. Yeah. Uh, he was brilliant. He was brilliant. Now, Ange Postacoglu, it's been mentioned over the week. It is huge, huge news. I thought he spoke brilliantly. You know, stayed up. And it was on a pretty reasonable hour, too, for us. So they thrashed mm. Motherwell 6-0. But then he came in afterwards and, you know, he had mental as anything playing, land down under playing. And, and what he's achieved, Ange Postacoglu, I hope it gets I hope it gets due recognition. I really do. We love Ange. I always say, like, we don't celebrate our intellectual exports enough in this country. So for Ange to win titles on three separate continents and to do it with flair and to do it in the face of serious doubters with a top European club in Celtic, it's just a remarkable achievement. I think the the point you made there about doing it with flair is particularly pertinent to Ange because he's definitely someone who knows how to defend as well. He's someone who can sit back and grind those one nil wins. We've seen that across his managerial career, that he knows how to do that. But he wanted to go to Scotland and change the way Celtics played. Ange Ball became loved by the fans. That It wasn't just the fact that he had his doubters when he first signed. He was this guy, this, this Aussie coach, and people were mispronouncing his name and just not giving him the respect that he was due. But it was the fact that it was, I remember before an even, a game had even started this season, Celtic released a a video onto their social media page of him just leading a training session. They mic'd him up. Mm. And just the way he was marshalling the troops around, he, he barely spent a week with them. He was calling them all by their first name, getting up close, shaking hands, talking to them. And the replies on that tweet straight away were, 
oh wow, this this guy knows what he's doing. Yeah. This, this guy is, could change the way Celtic plays. And even though Rangers haven't been in the, their best this year, Celtic have played such a great style of attacking football. Sometimes it's let them down. There's been they didn't get through the European competition as far as they would have wanted. They lost a cup competition, but at the end of the day, they won the league, and that was what was important after losing their incredible streak mm. to Rangers last year. That they wanted to get back on top, and Ange led them there, and he brought the fans along with him. And as as he said, with that speech, with the way the fans received him after that Motherwell game, it just shows how much he is now Celtic Ange through and through. Yeah. So we we never stop. The, the other thing about it is this: is Aussies. Aussies pride themselves on punching above their weight on the global sporting stage, yeah? So, so rightly or wrongly, mm. sporting prowess in this country is sort of inextricably tied into our cultural identity. Sort of the only bastion that we haven't really conquered is football, understandably. It's, it's the world game and it's not our first choice of football codes. We had a bit of a taste, I guess, in the 2006 World Cup, you know, that golden generation that, that lost to Italy. But, but now through Postacoglu, Australia sees itself as as capable on the world stage, right? His achievements in such a, a Eurocentric business. And, and I think as fans, I mean, how many more people have now started following Celtic on Twitter just because of Ange, for example? It, it makes us feel this sort of overwhelming sense of pride. And I don't think that's lost on Posto Cogley either. And I'd no. love to see him uh, then make a move to England in the next couple of years. And you know what? You wouldn't back against him. No, definitely not. And I mean... The one thing that the Premier League always has is openings for managerial positions because they go yeah, through them like the carousel. So it, it would be, I think it would be important for Ange to have a few years at Celtic and make sure if he does go to somewhere like the Premier League or, or even the Championship. I think the Championship, while it might feel like a step down, if you, you're coaching in the second tier of England, you know you're at a good level. Because, I mean, you look at someone like Harry Kuehl, he tried fourth tier, third tier clubs mm. and he he struggled. Whereas if Ange can prove himself at Celtic and get a, a role at a top six, top eight club in the championship or one of those sort of 10 to 20 teams in the in the Premier League, it would show a lot about just how good our managers can be. And we've seen other managers taking similar steps. Obviously, Kevin Muskett's off to Japan. He's sort of following in Ange's footsteps a bit. We've, we've got some really good managers coming out of Australia and Ange is just leading the way in that. Yes, mate. I could chat all day. Sadly, we're out of time. Thank you so much. We'll catch all your work in Code Sports, and we'll speak next Monday. All good, Julian. Chat soon. Yeah, he's Lachlan McCurdy from Code Sports. Good man. Like I said, follow Lockie on Twitter if you haven't. It's it's amazing. I reckon he's got a, he's got his basement at home with about thirty different screens on, and live tweeting about every sport and knows his stuff too. He's a good fella. Who am I? Second clue before the break. I was born in Laidley, Queensland, nineteen seventy. I made my Test cricket debut in nineteen. 19- 96, you're on high ground. To the text line, we go by 457 736 736. Simon, good evening to you. Uh, why doesn't Gill give up his B-grade commentary on nine and pick up the coach's whistle, show everyone how to get a team going instead of pontificating from above? Well, he has made it very clear that his coaching days are, are well behind him. And if he want to move, wants to move on from that caper, well, I think we've got to respect that. The thing about it is, I say, well... The most inspired performance of the year was that game against the Roosters. And that was the week where Baz handed him the clipboard and the whistle and said, all right, see if you can't fire them up. Then they win and they lose the next week. And they go, well, clearly it's Gus and not Barrett. I mean, it's a lot more to it than that. But that's how it looks from the outside. I don't think he has the desire 
or maybe doesn't have any the time, Phil Gill to coach again. But yes, long story short, he's not coaching again. Look, there's enough good young coaches around, you'd think. You got when? When does the next generation come through? I mean, we're going to go back to Phil Gould. Renault's a gun. Hello, Joe. Renault's a gun. Why do you think Souths are going like bastards? Well, they won. They weren't that impressive. They should have buried the Warriors, and they fell asleep. They took their foot off the gas, didn't they, Joe? Cody Walker was good. The thing about it is, I mean, if Cody Walker doesn't capture the form that he showed last year, then they're going to be less effective. Then, of course, you don't have his partner in crime, Adam Reynolds, who's tearing it up for the Broncos at the moment. You lose somebody with that much passion, that much experience with the club, well, yeah, it's going to leave a hole. Elias, good, talented young player. It's going to take a bit of time to find his feet. And the other thing there, they haven't had Michelle Mitchell for a while. He's been out injured. And they've got a new coach. So you factor in all of those things, and I think that goes part of the reason of explaining why Souths aren't quite top of the tree. I still think once they get their mojo, they'll find the eight, though. Joe? So if you're a Souths fan, there you go. I hope I haven't put the mock on them for you. Now, who am I? I was born in Laidley, Queensland, 1970. Made my Test cricket debut in 1996. I hold the Test match record of being 12th man on 19 occasions. Born in Laidley, Queensland. Who am I? New South Wales origin scarf to give away. Born in Laidley, Queensland, 1970. Made my Test debut in 1996. And I hold the Test match record of being 12th man on 19 occasions. And I'll tell you what, Maury, start alongside Andrew Simons at the 2003 World Cup. 0457 736 736, the text line number. Now, got a few in. Bondi Jack, yes. One's no. One's yes. I can tell you, though, that Martin Lewis from 17 Mile Rocks is the winner of the night. First correct answer through on the text line. Well done to you, Martin. The answer is the great Andy Bickle. So well done to you, Martin. You have scored yourself tonight a New South Wales State of Origin scarf. Yes, it was Andy Bickle, born lately, Queensland, 1970. Made his test debut in 1996. Started alongside Andrew Simons at the 2003 World Cup. Hold the test match record of being 12th man on 19 occasions. And I share my initials with another Queenslander and great Australian captain, Alan Board. Of course, the initials AB, Andy Bickle. You know, Glenn McGrath said, said in his book, picked his ultimate team. He had Bickle as his 12th man. He says, he's the best team bloke you'd ever want to meet. He's a ripper guy. And people talk about Simon's 143 in that World Cup. They went through undefeated in that first game. What about Bickle's performances against England with that seven? Ah, the mighty Queenslanders. 0457 736 736 is the text line number. Just running through the Dally M scores. From the weekend's round, Magic Round. Friday night, Bulldogs being Knights. Uh, Luke Lewis is the judge. Here we go. Three to Dave Clemmer, two to Mitch Barnett, and one to Kalen Ponga. Uh, Ryan Girdler was the judge for the Eagles. Broncos got three to Reynolds, two to Selwyn Cobbo, and one to Patrick Carrigan. That's probably perfect, Gertz. Can't disagree with that. Warriors v Rabideau, Saturday, Suncorp Stadium. Uh, Tavita Totola got three points. Cody Walker, two. And Reese Walsh with the one. He had a good second half, Reese Walsh. Ben Cray was the judge there. Now, our own Noddy Kamali, he was the judge for the Titans and Dragons game. He's given three to Jaden Campbell, two to Mo Fodder Wake Up. He was really good, I thought. Tino was great too. And one to St. George of the Warriors, Ben Hunt. Joey. Joey was the judge for Storm v. Panthers Saturday night. 
That was the third Saturday game. Three to Isaiah Yo, who was an absolute monster. Two to Nathan Cleary and one to Dylan Edwards. So Joey with the points there. Sharks v Raiders. That game, uh, Paul Fatawira was the judge. He's given three to Brad Schneider, two to Joe Tarpanay, and one to Hudson Young. And then Brandy gave the points for Roosters v Eels. Bit of controversy here. You go three to Mitch Moses, who was good, but two to Sam Walker and one to James Tedesco. Bondo Jack, I see what we have to say. I'll try and get to your text message after the break. And your thoughts on Brandy's judging the air by giving Mitch Moses three, which turns us to the Dallium leaderboard. Isaiah Yo off the back of that three is now outright leader. 17 points to the Panthers, number 13. He's too clear of two players, Moses from Parramatta and Ryan Pappenhausen from the Storm, who, of course, didn't play on that clash against the Panthers. Both of those gentlemen on 15. They were one clear of Ben Hunt on 14 points, who sits in outright fourth now. 13 points, Daly Cherry Evans and Nico Hines. And then on 11 points, we've got Sam Walker, who's rocketing up there now. James Tedesco and Adam Reynolds. So outright leader, Daly Ems. Isaiah from the Panthers on 17 points. And while we're talking about about player of the year, just very quickly, leaderboard, Daily Cherry Evans, this is our one here at SEN, thanks to Metricom, on 15 ahead of Munster on 14, and Isaiah also on 14. Breaking back with more. Thank you, everybody who submitted guesses for Who Am I Tonight. Going to do that every Monday, because I love giving away free crap on the program. So I said to the bosses, look, give me the keys to the prize cover to see what I can't. Rustle up, and I found a box of scarves. I'm pretty sure I can give them away. Otherwise, you know what? I'll pay for them out of my own pocket. That's how generous I am to our loyal listeners. Uh, well done to Martin Lewis from 17 Mile Rocks, the winner tonight, because he was the first one to guess correctly. The answer was Andy Bickle, the legend from Laidley, Queensland, bought in 1970. Martin's just texted, how do I claim my prize? Martin, what we'll do, I'll get uh, producer slash Penelop Pat to uh, give you a bell or flick your text and um, we'll get your details and we'll send that out to you. So well done, Martin. We'll do another one next Monday. Now, Bondi Jack, you say, of course, Barrett was tapped. The board has no clue. The bloke doesn't have a nine or seven, barely has a one. Brandy has finally lost his marbles, gave three dallying points to Moses. Uh, so he's on your, your ref-bagging bandwagon again here, Bondi Jack. Told Adam G, despite Adam G giving power a dozen straight six against a nil, Four penalties to nil after Sammy. Sammy Walker got the chooks at 25 to 6. G gave us not one repeat tackle the whole second half, but gave Moses 40 of them. He didn't get his team home. Sammy did. I don't think Brandy's going to resign, Bondi Jack. But always very forceful. Yeah, I wouldn't have given three to Moses. But Moses was good. I thought Sam Walker was fantastic. He's a really good... I love watching him play Sammy Walker. And he's getting his mojo. He had a really great game. Anyway, I think they're back. Can we say the Roosters are back? I think we can. Last couple of weeks, last two, the Tedesco's been brilliant in the last month. Probably the last two weeks they start to show something. 0457 736 736. Keep those texts coming in. Who do you tip as the next Bulldogs coach? Now, in the next hour, I will catch up with James Paulson from the sports desk to have a look at the back pages of tomorrow's Sydney Morning Herald. Stay tuned for that. Our good mate Ian McCulloch will check in with him from the old dart for his UK report. We're getting to the business end of the Premier League season. And then Pat will grill me as well for agree to disagree. Julian King with you on higher ground. 0457 736 736. The text line number. Great to have your company on SEN this Monday night. So what we've done during the break, uh, as we do, we've got in touch with Martin from 17 Mile Rocks. I believe Marty, Pat, is in Queensland. Is that right? You're in Queensland, Marty. Beautiful part of the world. I was born in Queensland. 
So I just thought to myself, somebody in Queensland who has won themselves a New South Wales state of origin scarf. Now, we shouldn't presume, you shouldn't presume that you're a Maroons fan or maybe you know somebody that's a, a New South Wales fan. Either way, you want it, you want it. You know, all over Andy Bickle. So well done to you, Martin. Well, as I said, we'll do another one next Monday on the program. Shortly going to catch up with James Polson from the news desk there at the City Morning Herald to see what's on the back pages of the paper tomorrow. No doubt very league-heavy pages after the, well, departure of Trent Barrett from Bill Moore earlier today. And I'll catch up with Ian McLaughlin as well for his weekly UK report as we get to the business end of the Premier League season. And keep those texts coming in. I'll read them all out. Make sure you put your names to these texts as well so I can give you a shout-out on air, 0457 736 736. The other thing I'll touch upon as well with the remainder of the show, did you see this? Wayne Grady, speaking of proud Queenslanders, he has absolutely, pardon the pun, teed off Wayne Grady on Greg Norman. Teed off on him. It was juicy stuff. I'll read for you a bit later what he had to say. And Tim Zhu, Tim Zhu, super welterweight boxing champion, is eyeing about with the undisputed champion Jamel Charlo after his epic win over Brian Castagna. A bit of a war of words, Charlo. You know, could I say he's a stereotypical American boxer? He just, geez, he talks the talk, doesn't he? Big trash talker, Zeus. says, I'm ready, mate. I'm mandatory. And I'm waiting for you. 0457 736 736 for the first time ever on High Ground Monday. Let's do this. I thought appropriate to bring in James Paulson from the Sydney Morning Herald Sports Desk because he, I'm sure, was a Peter Combe fan back in the day. Pulso, good evening to you. Yeah, good day, Jules. How are you, mate? Oh. Nice to be saw, actually, Peter Combe. Was he? Where was that? No, that was uh, Lazenby Hall at the you know, Island University of New England about 1992, if memory serves. <laughs> yeah. I think it was a Tuesday. I had a Tui's New. I wore <laughs> yes. That's exactly wore a pair right. of vans. Oh, yeah, how was he? Did you? What was oh, the mate. other tune he had? He had what, was that the way, um, Fry and Egg and a Slippery Dip oh, or something? Was juicy, it? juicy Greengrass. Yes. Yeah, he's showing your like age now. The thing about it, him and um, and the Wiggles, they, they do these overage gigs now, don't they? Where people mate, that they were, are, yeah. were big fans as kids can now go to the, the nuclear sub, neck a few beers and just sing the songs yeah, they loved as kids. How good is that? Yes, yeah. Well, next time, if keep an eye out, because I know you're a music connoisseur. Next time you see Peter Coombe playing a gig, I'll come with you. Deal? Mate, sounds like a plan. We're on. All right. You know, we thought you'd just be talking about uh, who was running hot and who was not running hot from Magic Round, and then speculation started to surface last night about the future of Trent Barrett there at the Bulldogs, and it was made official today. He's part of company, and it was a, a pretty brief statement released by Canterbury. So we've got our first coaching casualty of 2022. Now, yes. Phil Gould, as you know, was the uh, is the football director there. He's distanced himself from that decision. He said, you know, I was never going to sack him. Uh, Andrew Webster's all over this tomorrow. Yeah, obviously, Barrett, uh, big news of the day, as you saw. I guess uh, the writing was always on the wall one way or the other when they cancelled a media opportunity this, this morning after that story sort of uh, yesterday and overnight. I mean, you're never going to make many friends uh, with a win rate hovering around the 15% mark, but yeah, Webby, Chief sports writer at the SMS, a good friend of SEN. He's uh, written on the contenders to replace Barrett and a bit of a poison chalice is taking the job, obviously, as you were saying earlier. Uh, there's two recent premiership winning coaches, Shane Flanagan and Paul Green, who are out of work at the moment. Flanagan in particular, he'd make for an interesting dynamic, giving his son, Kyle, 
Miles at Canterbury and Shane's been at um, somewhat loggerheads with the dogs for two seasons over how they're using him. Uh, of course, Penrith, uh, Cameron Serraldo, the assistant, he's long been considered the, the next man in waiting. But, I mean, why would he leave the Panthers? Mm. He's only... He's 37. He's, of course, I'm not comparing him to the great man, but if he has to have anything like the longevity of a, of a Wayne Bennett, he's got decades left in him. And the raps on him suggest he's certainly in it for the long haul. Uh, well, he's also written that, you know, he had the wherewithal to say no New York Rangers a few years back when they came calling. He knew he wasn't ready. He'd be better served continuing a bit of an apprenticeship. So, yeah, I dare say he'll be staying put. Yeah, it's interesting. Christian Wolf, the other one whose name's been mentioned in dispatches. The the thing about Seraldo, because Webby wrote an article that not that long ago, Pulse, about the sort of the, the lack of the next generation of coaching talent coming through. Where are all the coaches gone that you keep sort of talking about? That's right. You know, people like your Paul Greens and, and recycling these sorts of guys. And so you saw yeah, it in the case with, with Cray Fitzgibbon, right? So the Dragons made overtures. You, you play for the Dragons and. And he said no. So guys that are considered the next cab off the rank, like your Seraldos, they're holding all the cards at the moment. So they can, they, because they're in such high demand, they can look at these gigs and they can actually pick and choose which ones they want. No, that's right. You look at a club like Canterbury. I mean, they only sacked Dean Pay what, two years ago? Barrett's out the door now. And, and as I say, a bit of a poison challenge is sort of damned if you do either way. With, with a team like that, they've gone hard on recruitment. I guess if they come with it, you know what? What you should have done with the roster that they've tossed up, and if you if you go down, even it's all what you even out the door again, and the cycle continues. It does, mate. Uh, wherever you are, can you take half a turn at the right and stand on one foot and grab some aluminium foil? That phone's just dipping in and out a little bit, mate. Uh, but we I'm shall. What's I'll that? Do my best. You do your very best. Uh, now, some good news keeps coming for the Wallabies. Yes, um, over the weekend, the South Herald was reporting we're heading for a good old-fashioned code war with the 15-man game setting its sights on the NRL again. This isn't about that. I can tell you, though, you'll be, more of these fans will be happy in the morning off the back of that World Cup announcement. Um, so I'm sorry, mate. I just lost you there. Look, we'll just do one more, mate, and uh, maybe next time what we'll do is... Uh, you know, we'll get the, the two cans and the string in between. Uh, Sam Kerr, just before we let you go, Jimmy, yeah, a, double, a double for Chelsea. Uh, even Didier Drogba online was praising her. No, she's fantastic, isn't he? Not to steal uh, my good mate Macca's thunder too much, hopefully. But, I mean, it was only last week she scored a double against Man United to help Chelsea to the, the Women's League title. Added again against Manchester City this morning. Uh, Australia's Howie Russo, part of that City side. And we've also got Ollie uh, Carpenter, another one of the Matildas. She's in the Women's Champions League final for Leon this weekend. So, obviously, the Matildas fans going to be hoping they can deliver that on home soil in the World Cup next year. Yeah, embarrassment of riches, really. It's so good. And this is what we yearn for now in the men's, is to have all our players playing in the top leagues like we did back in, you know, six. But uh, not many the going golden. around at the S, the golden era. Yeah, I mentioned that earlier tonight, actually. Yeah, now we've got to sort of live through Ange to get our success on the men's front. Mate, we'll let you go. Thank you so much. And we'll catch all of those stories in tomorrow's City Morning Herald. Good on you, Jules. Thank you. There he is, James Bolson from the sports desk of the SMH. So we'll do that every Monday night. First time he's joined us. So it's good to catch up with James. And his first ever gig, Peter Coombe. So I didn't know that when I knocked up that intro. <laughs> his first ever gig was Peter Coombe. It was a newspaper moment every day. So Andrew Webster has got that story. He's going to go through... Uh, the coaching contenders for the Canterbury-Bankstown Bulldogs. Who do you like?
So just reading on the Sydney Morning Herald, uh, and it hasn't gone to air yet, but they do pre-record 100% footy on the Nine Network. So the minute we get that audio, we'll play it for you. But Gus apparently said tonight that the next coach will have to be an experienced coach. So if that's the case, well, then you forget about Seraldo. Wolf is experienced, but uh, discuss me now NRL experience. I don't know. I don't know. Because Wolf doesn't have NRL experience. Paul Green has NRL experience. Shane Flanagan has NRL experience. Both of them premiership winners. I'd be very surprised if Flanagan goes there. Very surprised. Having said that, people go, he won't go there because his son's there. Well, hang on. There's three other clubs where coaches coach their sons. So Ivan coaches Nathan. Kevy coaches Billy. And Brad Arthur coaches young Jacob. So just because your son's here doesn't preclude you from taking the coaching. I just, I don't know, I can't see the fit. But who knows? Who knows? We'll wait and see. And then we still got to find an interim, which hasn't been named at this point in time. I know Michael Potter's name's been mentioned. He's a coach of workers at the moment. Of course, a legendary Canterbury fullback, a Dally and winner there with the club as well, and a premiership winner, Mick Potter. Had a stint with the Tigers. His name's been mentioned. You'd think David Furter, who's coaching the top grade, is the assistant there at Canterbury too. David Ferner, and was in the mix for the Dragons job. So Fitzy knocked him back, and he was one of the applicants alongside Anthony Griffin, and Griffin eventually got the job. But he's still, you'd think, having applied for that, he's still keen to coach David Ferner. So it'll be really interesting if somebody like that does decide to coach. What if they turn the team around? They'd have to make the eight, but what if they start stringing a few wins together? It's a chance there to boost your own coaching credentials. 0457-736-736. Who do you think or who would you like to see as the next coach of the Canterbury Bulldogs? Maybe you don't care. Maybe it's a certain schadenfreude going on where you take pleasure out of others' misfortune. You go, I can't stand Canterbury. Couldn't happen to a nicer club. I don't want to see it. Like I said, I don't like seeing anybody lose their job. It's a tough gig. He took it on. Doesn't always work out. Don't know why anyone, why anyone would be a coach. You've got to be a special breed. You've got to be a really special breed. Now, just running through some of the injuries. Nelson Asofa Solomon has been ruled out in the Storms clash against the Cowboys in round 11. He sustained a knee injury in Magic Round. Now, of course, Jerome Hughes is the late withdrawal on the eve of that clash with a calf injury. They do expect to have Jerome Hughes back on deck. Uh, they'll make that final determination a bit later in the week. Now, the Tricolors are Roosters after that good win over Parra. They're set to be without Victor Radley for several weeks after suffering a suspected syndesmosis injury. Uh, the Origin hopeful will have scans uh, with a consult a specialist this week to determine the severity. Now, suffered a, uh, Cronulla suffered a double blow on Sunday. Dale Finucane had that head and knee injury. Jack Williams injured his shoulder. Now, Finucane was carrying the ball back from a kickoff. Then his head made contact with Elliot Whitehead's shoulder. The greater concern post-match, though, was a knee injury to Finucane. Scans today. We'll see what the result of those scans are. He said, my knee gave way a bit. It felt fine. It was hard to do all the concussion testing. A lot of it relies on balance. And he, and he couldn't stand on the knee. So he lacked stability in his head. But he said the cognitive stuff was fine. Now, we mentioned at the top of the show, they are struggling at the moment, the West Tigers. Triple blow in their final game of Magic Round. So Luke Brooks, hamstring injury. Jake Simpkin, head knock. Zane Musgrove, peck injury. Now, Michael Maguire's fit men have just a five-day turnaround for their clash against the Dogs. So they're up against it, the West Tigers. So Simpkin will be unavailable. Brooks and Musgrove, outside chances to play, but don't take it as read. So we don't know. We'll guess we'll know a bit later on in the week 
The thing about Nofalu, we had concussion. McKayley had a head knock. Gapoa was out due to COVID protocols. They're closing in on returns. They're in a world of pain, though. They're in a world of pain, the Tigers. So if you're the Bulldogs, you will not have a better chance to win a game of football than Friday night against an injury to a West Tigers team who've had a five-day turnaround. So if the players want to show that they care about their club, their coach has been punted, now's your chance to do it, Bulldogs fans, Bulldogs players. For the Dragons, Josh Maguire and uh, bat, uh, this, sorry, Josh Maguire is out injured. Jacob Host as well was a casualty for South Sydney. Uh, Manly coach Des Hasler confirmed post-match that Ben Trebojevic had aggravated an AC joint and uh, showed a fair bit of ticker, actually, Ben Trebojevic to get through the match uh, on that AC joint. Now, older brother Tom. Now, people were speculating during that game. So what is going on with Tom? He's, he's barely running. He looked to be in trouble throughout much of the match. They thought it was a knee injury. Hasler said that he hadn't picked up a fresh injury, should be fine to face Eels next week. It's just a cork. They said he should be okay. Now, for Brisbane, uh, Tamari Martin has suffered a hip flexor injury. He's in doubt for next round, Tamari Martin. And I've just seen a strap there on uh, on Fox Sports News saying Selwyn Cobbo will be training in the fullback role because people have been waiting to see Selwyn Cobbo unleash at number one. They say, okay, well, ease him into it. Play him on the wing. He had a blinder. Three tries. But now, obviously, Tessie New injured, Tamari Martin now injured. Well, Selwyn Cobbo could be training at fullback. Might run out the number one jersey, depending on fitness. It'll be very interesting to watch. Running through round 11, Knights for your Broncos. That's the Thursday night game. Uh, as we mentioned, the Tigers and Bulldogs, that game, the 6 p.m. game, Friday the 20th. Also that day, the later game, the Eels and the Eagles. Remember the old here we go again, Manly and Para. Para's well ahead, but the gap starts to narrow. You're a bit young for that, Pat. Saturday, 3 o'clock, Dragons and the Warriors. I mean, the Dragons got to win that game. Cowboys and the Storm. That'll be a really good game of footy. No Pappenhausen. They expect Hughes to be back, as I just mentioned. But they're flying at the moment. The Cowboys are in third. That's third v. second. Roosters, Panthers. There's another beauty. SCG. What have they got in the tank? This will be a real test for the Roosters against the first-place Penrith side, the defending premiers. Then on Sunday, we've got the Rabbitohs and the Raiders uh, in Dubbo. In Dubbo, both last start winners. And then the Titans and the Sharks, that game 4.05 p.m. Sunday at Seabus Super Stadium. 0457 736 736 is the text line number. We'll take a break on the other side of that. We'll check in at the Old Dart with Ian McCulloch in his UK report. Hope everyone's having a raging hot Monday night. There's so much to talk about, so much to sink our teeth into from all the weekend sporting action. Keep those texts coming in 0457 736 736. And if you're driving to work, driving home from work, you can keep me company, we can keep each other company. 1300 011170. Time for this. Now get this. London calling, yes, I was there too. And you know what they said, but some of it was true. So yeah, this time of night at 10.19 Eastern Standard Time, Ian McCulloch, as I say, good evening or good morning or good afternoon to you. I don't know what time it is over there. Just got afternoon. I need to need to keep the energy level up, and the clash you always managed to deliver. Very much so, the mighty clash. So, good afternoon, mate. How are you? I'm going very well. 
Only two, well, depending on how many matches are played, but of course 38 in the regular season of the Premier League. Man City lead by four points now over Liverpool. Liverpool with a game in hand. Are they home and hose Man City? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, that was a... Uh, well, they, they would have been home and hose if Riyad Mahrez had put that penalty away um, against West Ham yesterday. Um, but they come from 2-0 down to grab a 2 all draw. But... Um, you know, Liverpool winning the beating Chelsea on penalties yet again to win a cup final on Saturday <laughs> kind of has given them the slight momentum. Um, they play Southampton. Uh, um, we're really struggling at the minute. Um, on Tuesday, the Saints have won just one of the last 11 games, oh. but um, Liverpool are, will be without Mo Salah and Virgil van Dijk, who picked up injuries in the in the cup final on on Saturday. Um, if expected, they they win at St Mary's, then that leaves it one a one point gap going into the final day of the season with um, uh, City hosting Villa, which uh, you know you think they should win, but no, Villa aren't the worst side in the world, um, and um, Liverpool host Wolves, so um, it could set up a really exciting final day of the season at both ends of the table. Um, could have something similar to what uh, happened in 2011 with Man City and, uh, and Man United both going mm. kind of head to head on the final day. And uh, yeah, but there's plenty of plenty of stories at the bottom of the table as well, where you've got um, um, and this could all change because Everton and Burnley both play midweek as well, and and Leeds don't have any more games in hand. But um, if Everton lose to Palace and uh, Burnley lose at Villa in their games on Thursday, then it, that really sets it up for another. Also, a dramatic final day at the bottom of the table. Mm. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's come to life, which uh, hasn't happened in recent years in the Premier League. It's usually done and dusted uh, on the final day where the title's been decided by a runaway winner and um, teams that have kind of been long relegated before the final day. So, um, yeah, an, an exciting final watch of the season. Certainly. I mean, you, when we last spoke, I think you said you fancied, if anything, Leeds to be the team to go down alongside uh, Watford and Norwich. You still hold to that? I don't know. It's it's very hard. To, I mean, that was a massive goal for Leeds yesterday. I think had they lost that to, you know, Brighton side, they were you know Brighton are quite a decent side and you know should have been out of sight really. But you know, Leeds, you know, really went hammer and tongs in the last half hour and the crowd kind of got them over the line. But they were so toothless against Chelsea in midweek. Um, uh, Leeds, you kind of thought, well, they look, they look, they look done. But you know, the the momentum of a a 92nd-minute equaliser um, really kind of can breathe sort of new life into them. Um, they played Brentford the last game of the season. Mm. Um, you know, Brentford had a good win against Everton um, yesterday. <laughs> it's very hard to say. I mean, I think, I, to be honest, I think the team that looked the most likely now is potentially Burnley. Um, I don't think they'll get anything at Villa on Thursday. And their last game of the season is hunting Newcastle, which is a winnable game. But Le- the thing with Leeds, their goal difference is so bad. They're almost two points behind. Um, yeah, I'm just looking like at a- that too. They're minus 38, aren't they? And Everton, minus they- 20. Southampton, minus 20. Yeah. And Burnley, minus 18. So. But yeah. they, they kind of crawled out the bottom three yesterday with um, uh, that, that point. And Burnley were a little bit unlucky to... To get turned over at, um, at Spurs, they hit the post, and the penalty giving innocent for, for Tottenham was dubious to say the least. Mm. But uh, I just think that 
I don't see Burnley scoring any goals. Um, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be really hard. I mean, I think I mean Everton were pretty poor. It, it's really tight. Cause we want any any one of those three can go down. Yeah. Um, I think Everton have a if Everton can get something at home to Palace on Thursday. I think they'll be safe. And I hope so. I hope so. It's in the lap of the gods then. But, you know, you are where you are. In the, in the table doesn't lie. And one of those three teams are, is going to go. Yep. Well um, said. Well said. We've got an important game tomorrow. Uh, Arsenal and Newcastle. Uh, this is a big game for Arsenal. They're eyeing off a top four finish. Yeah, huge. They they were well beaten by Spurs against Spurs um, last week. Um, very poor performance by Arsenal. Those Spurs were very good. And... Um, yeah, I mean they should be. They've got a very good record against Newcastle Arsenal. They, they, you think they should, they should win that game. But if they don't, then you know it's really advantage um, Tottenham for that top four spot. Uh, you know, you look at the last game of the season. Spurs that play against Norwich are already down and are kind of you know on the beach, so to speak. As they say over here. <laughs> um, got done. You know they were heavily beaten again at the weekend, um, and. It's. I mean, Arsenal. Then they've got, I've got Everton at home. Everton potentially something to play for, hanging on for their lives. It's. I. I you'd have to think it, if they don't win tonight, Arsenal. Then it's top four. It's, it's, it's certainly Tottenham's, um, which would be hugely disappointing because Arsenal had the advantage of no midweek European fixtures this season. Um, and if you're going to break into the top four like Arsenal need to, then you know they 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 haven't they won't have a better opportunity than this. So the pressure really is on them. It's funny that term you used on the beach. It just you mentioned that and something popped in my head. It was one of the one of the British rugby league players from a few years ago. They're touring here in the star. The beaches aren't that good. I'd rather be back at Blackpool. And I'm thinking, are you? Was it Lee Crook? No, it wasn't Lee Crook. I've just oh, I just in the no, name escapes me. Leon Price. Leon Price. Thank you. I had the Lee in my head. Yes, it was. Lee. Yeah. I'd rather be in Blackpool. <laughs> I you, think I think there might have been a bit of tongue in cheek there because anyone who's been to Blackpool Beach certainly wouldn't be describing no. it better than Bondi, Kuji, Taramata, Tamarama, <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah, or Bronte or like that. It's um, yeah. <laughs> oh, that was very very funny. Thank you. I would have been racking my. I wouldn't have been able to go to sleep if you hadn't told me that. I, I just <laughs> just uh, one more thing on, on footy. Uh, well done to Celtic. I mean, twenty five points in arrears uh, to win the Scottish Premier League, and do it playing such stylish football. I mean, he was bagged, he was mocked, he was criticised. There's a real fear of the unknown sometimes when it comes to football. They tend to be very Eurocentric, some of these old-school kind of ex-players turned pundits, but but Ange has really won them over. Yeah, he's done an amazing job. You, you can't... Uh, I, mean, I was... after I, I did a radio thing over here for one of the, um, the stations... Talksport, I think it was, um, when he was appointed, and you know, there's a lot of mocking about and what's he done on that. And everywhere he's gone, he's won. Mm. I mean, the A League, um, Brisbane Raw victory, yeah. and you know, Brisbane Raw, he, he wins, he turns, and then he goes to Japan and turns things around quickly. My only fear for Ange was that's such a goldfish bow up there in Glasgow, it's really, really, it's nothing like he ever would have experienced mm. in Australia, certainly. Um, I always thought Ranchi could be a little bit thin-skinned. And he's a bit thin-skinned with the media in Australia when he was soccer his coat. He didn't mm. sort of, could get a bit prickly. You can't do that in Glasgow. but uh, And to go in there, with not much of a pre-season. Celtic were so behind um, Rangers last year. And 
you know, the talk of Steven Gerrard, he's a legend in football, etc. What it took him four years to do with Rangers, Postacoglu's done in one year at Celtic, and yeah. um, he proved so many people wrong, and the, the football he played, and you know, the love for him from the Celtic fans really is, um, he's really won them over, and I, there, there are a lot of people over here eating a lot of humble pie. Mm. Um, it's just one of those things over here. I mean, Jesse Marsh, the Leeds United manager, is kind of getting it as well because he's an American. Yes, you yeah. know, in the you know the, the you know the old-fashioned attitudes here is well, what do Americans know about football? Yeah, I think it's a little bit about Andrew, what does an Aussie know about football kind of thing? Mm. And um, you know, he certainly, I mean, he silenced a lot of critics, but he's also kind of he laid a path really for um, coaches from kind of I guess non historically football countries to come in that show that, you know, it can be done. And um, I think, you know, potentially, you might see other, you know, Aussie coaches now, if it will look at, because football's like, over here, it's a copycat business. There was a, you know, with Klopp, all of a sudden everyone started deploying German coaches. <laughs> David Barton, this kind of thing. Yes. You know, you never know, it might open the door for some more Aussie coaches to come over and, you know, get, well, get a chance so. of, I hope so. I hope so. I mean, Kevin Muscat uh, is gaining some attention. There's a, there's a, a lot of love mm. here, or there's a lot of um, they say Ufuk Talley has been identified as a as a future coach. Well, he's a current coach, but but a, a man that's potentially going places as well. So uh, anyway, it's it's good, and like you said, it's I guess trailblazing in that respect for Australian coaches. And uh, long may it continue, and maybe we'll see him over over in England sooner rather than later. One more before I let you go, Ed. Um, you know, all the talk was about Gary Kirsten being appointed the England cricket coach. And now Rob Keyes probably needed to shake things up. And he's obviously stoked, we discussed this, was the only option to, to be their captain. And maybe they need to be a bit more cavalier in the way they approach things. Uh, they've gone a bit left field. They've appointed Brendan McCullum as their new coach. Yeah, yeah, very left field. No coaching experience at all, apart from sort of IPL stuff. Mm. Um, I think from reading between the lines that, they wanted something more of the Trevor Bayliss approach to coaching. Yeah. Um, Stokes and Bayliss had a very, very close relationship. Um, and the, the Bayliss approach is very much your your top-level cricketers. You don't need coaching. It's about the environment you create. I'm not going to sit until you have the bat and bowl. You know, I just want to give you the best environment. And if you want to chat, we chat and that, that kind of thing. And I think England were pretty successful with Bayliss at the helm. Um, and I think the last coach, Chris Silverwood, he was considered a little bit too close to the players, but also a bit kind of um, too overbearing on many of them. And I think what's been a real difficulty, and it, it, it hasn't really... That, it's very hard to feel sympathy for guys that are earning millions playing cricket. But they've been in bubbles for basically two years, England players, all around the world and at home. And it's very... It takes a toll on players, speaking mm. to players, and it's just... There's players turning down the chance to be in the IPL now, which you never would have heard of two years ago True. because they can't stomach the thought of being in, you know, um, quarantine again yeah. Yeah. for such a long period. And I think there just needs to be a bit more kind of, for better of a word, kind of joy and a bit more kind of feel-good feeling around the camp. And I think that's why Stokes are so keen to have McCullum in place. Uh, well, um, I hope, I hope and it really, works out. I mean, he, yeah, yeah, but it's also given the. I mean, he's he kind of widely credited as well because he's very close to Owen Morgan, Brendan McCullum, mm. um, and Morgan cites him as being the biggest influence in the kind of the, the change approach in the white ball team for England. Okay, not that he had any direct influence on it, 
but he but you know he was the kind of the way that New Zealand played in the, the 2015 World Cup was what Morgan wanted to instill into the England team that kind of you know carefree approach. So I think that's the idea anyway. But a time will tell. Time will tell whether it makes any difference. Yes, and of course over the weekend uh, we lost uh, one of the most exciting cricketers I've seen in my lifetime. Uh, Born in Birmingham, maybe he was the best that England ever had. Uh, Andrew Simons tragically uh, dying at the age of 46 in a car crash. Oh, shocking. Terrible news to hear. I heard it late Saturday night. I was just about to go to bed and I'm, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's been it's big news over here, obviously, because uh, it's quite ironic that the um, Stokes broke the record that um, Simon set um, in 1995, I think he was, mm-hmm. uh, the most number of uh, sixes in a in a century in a county match. Yeah, um, it shows how long that record was held. I mean, yeah, it's 1995, and um, yeah, what a what a, what a loss it really is. Kind of, and you think you know Shane Warne, Andrew Simons, Rod Marsh, real kind of mm. seismic figures in Australian cricket, all all departing in um, you know so, so close together. It's um, yeah, it's uh, it wasn't as big news over here as. Shane Warne, obviously, but it certainly got you know, all the papers have had some big splashes yeah. and tributes to to Andrew Simon because he played for four county teams over here, and uh, two of them, I think it was Surrey and Kent, were playing each other at the weekend, and there was a kind of minute silence and black armbands worn by players to you know memory of Andrew Simons. Um, yeah, and a real popular figure as well amongst players. Played played the game very hard on the field, but was you know by all accounts a great teammate and uh, you know a good guy around around the teams he plays with. Yeah, he was, he was. Well said. Thank you, mate. Always good to chat. Uh, enjoy your week and we'll catch you next Monday. Cheers, Jules. All the best. Bye yeah. now. There is Ian McCulloch with his UK report, 0457 736 736. Break it back with more. So Parramatta Eels fans, David Kidwell has stepped down as the Eels' assistant coach and he's taking up a new role with Argentinian rugby. He's going to be the Puma's defensive coach. We see a lot of these, don't we, rugby league players become defence coaches in rugby union. Les Kiss famously for many years uh, was working with the Springboks, I believe, the former North Sydney Bears and Queensland legend Les Kiss is the defence coach. I know Jason Riles has been helping out Eddie Jones a bit, I think, over in England rugby. Seebs as well, for that matter. So defensively, he said a lot of league people involved in rugby union. So David Kidwell has stepped down as the Eels assistant coach. He's going to take up the new role as the defence coach for, as Gordon Bray would say, the Pumas. So, well done. We wish David Kidwell all the best. Bondi Jack says, Jules, you're always welcome to edit my emails when you see fit. Sometimes I do, Bondi Jack. Sometimes I do. Uh, mainly because, I don't know, not, not that necessarily mean sanitize, need sanitising, certainly not this time of night, but I don't know, maybe it's just the inner nice guy of me. like to be diplomatic as best I can. I missed my catalogue scarf for now. Yeah, we'll have another crack next uh, Monday, Bondi Jack. But how about Bevo's two partnerships with Bic? which saved Australia twice in the World Cup. Somebody put a poll about finishes in white ball cricket. And the thing about it online and Twitter, most of the respondents on cricket Twitter are you know, the mad as the cut snake Indian fans. And so they'll nominate the ones that they see now. They don't appreciate how good Bevan was as a finisher. The best finisher I've seen, Donny's well, one of the two. He was just brilliant. Just to manage, just to manage, even 20 overs out, he just timed his finish to perfection. Along with Roy, the boys, 143 at 5 for 90 versus Pakistan. Yeah, it was a great knock, which I watched live on a big screen at the Oasis in Broadbeach. 
They rescued our history. Yeah, great days. It's a terrible loss. Terrible loss. Undefeated that tournament too. A couple of unsung heroes. Thank you, Bondi Jack. 0457 736 736. All right, time for this. The finger thing means to taxes. Well, I guess this is a case where we'll have to agree to disagree. All right, so Mulchie, we fired that up on Wednesday night. We've got Pat in the chair this Monday. He's going to put me under the grill. I don't know what he's going to ask me, but either have to agree or disagree. Pat, good evening. How are you doing? Going well. Good, good. How about your bunnies, eh? They'll come good. They'll come good. They look good for a while, and then they just they put the queue on the rack, and then the Warriors came home with a wet sail, and you just got over the line, didn't you? Yeah, I really think yeah. that. I really think they did put the queue on the rack. Still, you take the two points, mate. Oh, you were, yeah. Oh, they're still in my ad. I've got him in my ad. I think so, too. Yeah. All right. What do you got for me? First up, we got the oh, we got the coaching bounce back myth. Do I? Do you think that this, this, that you win after sacking the coach is a myth? I don't. Uh, you're meant to let me answer first. All right. I will say, you ask me, is it a myth? I'll say agree. Agree, yeah. Only because... On the first day, when I spoke to Lachlan McCurdy, he basically said the whole thing was a myth. 100% footies just start on the Nine Network. We'll bring to you what Gus has to say very shortly in the program. Yeah, you look, a couple of times, I think it was, remember after, oh, I'm trying to think who coached, it was Peter Sharp, I think, after Bozo stepped down as Manly coach. And Peter Sharp took the reins as caretaker, and they won the next week, I have a feeling. Well, because that was in the first year of NRL, like right. 1998. Mm. And the first three coaches won. Yeah, okay. And once you have something happens three in a row in NRL, it gains steam. But for those who aren't behind the code sport paywall, and you absolutely should be, but over the NRL since 1998, it's 14 from 35. Of coaches, new coaches, coaches winning. Yeah, winning, okay, yeah. Like and then the right. current streak is four from 13. Yeah, right, okay. Not that that's a streak. So uh, I agree it's a myth, so good. And the stats back me up. Excellent. Bulldogs won't finish last. I'll say disagree. I I just oh, they're a rabble. They're a rabble. Looks like they're riding this year off. Having said that, I, I thought the Sharks had written last year off and, and had a sort of got them to come good to a degree. But uh, who's going to finish last? Tigers. Well, if you look at the Titans, you'd think them or the Tigers, right? Maybe Warriors if they just go on a downward spiral. But right Newcastle now, got a smell about them. No, they're a better team than that. I mean, they beat them on Friday night. Yeah. So Bulldogs last at the moment. They're on four points. So are the Tigers. There's so only one win behind the Titans and the Knights. While you're looking at that ladder, the average position of the sides that Bulldogs have played is sixth. Mm. And in the draw ahead, the average position is ninth. So you think they've got some wins under their belt? I think they might have. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Well, I think they've got a good side there. You can't deny that their attack's been poor. I don't want to stick the boot into anybody. But I would put Josh Adakar at fullback. Mm. Agree or disagree? Is this another one? This is number three. Uh, right now, agree. Yeah. Yeah. You, they need to try something. Yeah. I don't yeah. like... You don't need... You we can't possibly retain Dufty after last week. Well, I was going to say, you of all with, people... What's going on with Corey Allen? Is he still playing a part there? They're trying to... He played he... Origin, Corey Allen, remember? Yeah, I think... Corey Allen was a, he was lightning in a bottle in that back end for South Sydney in 2020. The thing about him is he's very skillful, very fit, very slow. 
I think if he changed the lock, he might have another go at first grade. Okay. Number four, this is a guy close to your heart who we're all waiting on, Phil Gould. Who pulled, <laughs> who, pulled the, heart, who pulled the trigger, Gus or Trent? I have to say Trent. I'm not accusing Gus of pulling the trigger. Yeah, I agree. You know, I, I reckon he saw the writing in the wall and they've said, look, Trent, mate, but yes. And the thing about Gus is that one way or another, his version of the truth, something close to the truth comes out. He just can't resist. So you think he's a spin merchant? He is, he's but... a very good spin merchant. It is... It is his version, but it's usually something that resembles the truth. Mm. And just to finish up, we've been playing the Clash since you and I teamed up. Yeah. London Calling. Yeah. Obviously, it's on the Mount Rushmore of Clash songs. <laughs> I think it's not in their top three. You don't think London Calling's in their top three? You're no. a fool. What's well, a rock in the Casbah is my number one. Great tune. I don't even have that in my top five. So you're clearly a bigger Clash fan than me because I'm struggling to think of what... Oh, we should have. That's why I've got to talk off air. Yeah, okay. I've got Train in Vain, Straight to Hell, and Daddy Was a Bank Robber. Okay. With London Calling. You're and... clearly a Clash fan. I love rocking the Casbah. Da, 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 da. Just the way it kicks in. You know, this is good. Let's get the juices flowing. Uh, the only reason I say because it's a classic, so you're definitely in my top three. Maybe I'm cliche because I'm only a Fairweather fan. But I would only call myself a Fairweather fan. You just name three songs that I haven't heard of. There you go. All right. I'm going to have to study the clash over the weekend. Thank you, Pat. There's Pat with another bout of agree to disagree. So you see, at the moment, the dogs, well, the average position the teams have lost to is six. Now looking ahead, the average position of the teams that they've got to play is ninth. I think it's a little more sophisticated than that, but you never, never know. 0457 736 736 is the text line number. Oh, yes, I saw this um, yesterday and I haven't mentioned it yet. But Peter Volandis, Australian Rugby League Commission chairman, has spoken favourably of the prospects that a Perth expansion bid could link up with the North Sydney Bears. Now, I'm wary of this. I love the Bears. They were part of my – well, they were my introduction into rugby league because I moved here, Sydney, I mean at the moment, from Darwin. And Darwin was a rugby league town. I didn't know anything about it as a kid. My grandfather and uncle were mad Bears fans. They'd take them to the Bears games every Sunday or every weekend. It was my uncle would be cheap. He'd wait till the gates flung open at halftime. We'd get him for free. And they were terrible. This is in the sort of 80s, you know, Mark Graham era. And I love Mark Graham as a footy player. And they were just getting belted. I thought, okay. So I've got a soft spot for the Bears. But if you've got to launch in a new market, it's got to be a new team. There's a bit of speculation. You play half the games in Perth, half the games in North City. Well, are you a Perth team or are you not a Perth team? So if they're going to be a Perth team then and you want to have some kind of historical link to North City, there may be one game a year at North Sydney Oval. Because it was reported on the weekend that it could be the case moving forward that you could have a Perth Bears. As talks between the two parties occurred in Brisbane over Magic Round weekend. And it was so sad they were one of the major casualties, Foundation Club major casualties of the Super League split, that ill-fated merger with Manly. It was never going to happen, never going to work out. They split, licence deferred to Manly, North Sydney are gone. It's only because they backed the wrong horse. Yeah, the Western Reds, who played in 95-96, switched to Super League, never involved in the merged competition from 98 onwards. So, got of, of course, the Dolphins, based out of Redcliffe, they're going to enter the comp next year. 
the NRL, they're keen to take the competition to 18 teams as soon as practically possible. And so, you know, they've spoken about the need to have 17 competitive teams, but, you know, the financial benefit of having that ninth game every week, no buys, you might even look at having two different zones or two different conferences. So who's that 18th team? Who's next in line? It's got to be Perth or a second New Zealand team, you'd think. I don't see who else it could be. Landy said, you know, the Bears have an extremely popular brand. But if you're a Bears fan, if you're a Bears fan, do you still back them if they're the Perth Bears? Do you still back them? Are they your team? You've got a logo, but they're a Perth-based team. I'm always curious to hear from Bears fans if there are any around still. 0457 736 736. So Volandi's reasoning is, well, you're getting the best of both, the great brand and a new supporter base. I wouldn't be entirely sad to see that happen, see the mighty red and black return. But anyway, he's open to the idea. Perth and New Zealand look to be the next two contenders. So they want to get to a nice round number, 18 teams. 0457 736 736, you're on high ground. I did say I'd bring to you what Gus had to say on Channel 9's 100% footy. Well, it started the scheduled time of 10.37. It's now almost 10.54, still talking. So I'm going to play you 16 minutes. We'll try and cut the best bits for you in the next hour of the program. Uh, but he did say, it was reported in the Herald a bit earlier, that he said the next coach he thinks should be an experienced coach. And, and we heard a bit earlier what he had to say uh, to the media. He said he spoke to Trent. He was a bit down, but it was his decision. And, you know, we all fail when a coach decides to leave. The question there is, do you believe it? Is it all window dressing? Judge, hello, Judge. Do you wake up, Gus, pull the trigger? Anyone that says otherwise doesn't know what they're talking about. Look, I was being a bit diplomatic there, Judge. Uh, do I think Gus had a role in the future of Trent Barrett? Yes, I do. Was the only one involved in moving him on? No, I don't. But my point is this. If somebody that has a spectre as large as Phil Gould at your football club and the knowledge that he has, um, yes, he's going to have influence, but you're certainly not going to make big decisions in his role as head of football without consulting him. Anyway, I'll bring to you what Gus had to say after the break. So in the final hour of the program, 11 o'clock, we'll bring that to you, 0457 736 736. And I did want to touch on this about what Wayne Grady's had to say about Greg Norman. It's quite funny. In grades, another proud, they're both proud Queenslanders, has absolutely teed off on Greg Norman. It's quite funny reading. Julian King of the Chair, high ground this Monday night on SEN. Great to have your company right around Australia. And final hour of the program this Monday night, 0457 736 736 is the text line number. I did say, obviously, with the news, Trent Barrett parting company with the Canterbury-Bankstown Bulldogs that uh, we'd bring to you what Phil Gould had to say, or some of it anyway. On 100% footy tonight. It started at 10.37. It must have been a monologue. So we've got the studios here and they've got these screens everywhere. I've got Channel 9 just on the TV screen to my left and there's Gus and he's talking and he's talking. They might cut to Widler very quickly and he's talking, talking. Cut to Gal very quickly and he keeps talking. We cut back to Gus and Gus. And then Mick Jamis chimes in with a far out. So uh, Pat is frantically trying to cut that up for you and uh, we'll bring the best bits of what Gus had to say tonight on 100% footy very, very shortly on the program. Now, I just wanted to mention this, um, and it's in relation to Greg Norman. Well, his former allies, teammates and deputies, they're turning on him as the fallout of this Saudi rebel circuit becomes even more personal. So Wayne Grady played with Norman for Australia on a number of occasions. 
Well, Grades has just teed off. He's produced this epic rant on social media, criticised his one-time friend for fronting the Saudis' bid to overhaul the top of the professional male game. And this is what he wrote. It's the Facebook post by Wayne Grady. From someone who has known Greg for 50 years, Greg is only about Greg. He's been trying to take down the till for 30 years. Now, last week, Norman caused that outrage when he said we've all made mistakes and his question about the state-approved murder of journalist Jamal Khashoggi in 2018. He said, oh, I heard about it, moved on. When asked about the 81 men who were executed in one day in Riyadh in March. And Kari Webb, fellow Queenslander, said, has anyone's childhood hero disappointed them so much? This is the reputation he's carving out for himself now, the shark. Grady evidently just is upset. And he goes on to say in his Facebook post grades, the admiration I had for him for what he has achieved and what he did for Australian golf is gone. For him to try and trivialise what the greats before him do did to grow and create what the PGA Tour is today is an absolute disgrace. You'd hang your head in shame, Shark. I went to the memorial service of Jack Newton yesterday, was surrounded by true professional golfers who believe in loyalty in history. But what about, wait for it, GFY Shark. Now, it doesn't take too much imagination to work out what GFY represents. Now, in terms of teeing off, pardon the pun, that is one of the best from Grace. You know what, Grace is right. I've lost all respect for Greg Norman. one three hundred zero one eleven seventy is an open line number. G'day, Mark. Hello. Mate, how are you doing? Yeah, um, good. Yeah, well, well, I'm not a golf, you know, I watch a lot. As a youngster, probably like, gee, you get up in the morning and you watch Greg hopefully winning US Major and he never did it, and um, but you respected him because he was always there and he's a world number one, but uh, he's losing a lot of people. And, um, yeah, it's like greed, to be honest, greed. But, um, yeah, it was a remarkable yeah. thing, wasn't it? So, oh, you know, well, the bloke that you are presenting is Hedgepin basically murdered and dismembered and tortured this, this journalist. Oh, make mistakes. You know, no, 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 Greg, that's not a mistake. Mistakes, what, you're, you're nah, shot on nah. the 12th in the Masters 96, mate. You know, what's, what, you learn a lesson, what, don't murder people. Is that the lesson? You know, yeah, yeah. anyway. Less yeah, said about him, the better. Yeah, definitely. Um, the Dragons, mate, I'm, oh, I was God. basically, I, um, give my footy tipping, I told the boys, I said, the Titans will win this game. And basically what it, to me, represents is the level that we're at. And um, and, and there were two sides to me that are on the same sort of level. Mm. And the Titans were just due for a win. Mm. And that's and that's exactly how it played out. Um, Blake Glory, brain snap, the fourth tackle, laying all over him. Get off him, Blake, please. Just get off. Yeah. And um, yeah, just... Anyway, look, we're not gonna we're not gonna be competitive. Like the young boys made some mistakes, but I thought our man played really well. Um, Tyrell has got to get better. He's not really good in those wet conditions. But no, but you know what, Mark? Where are we? People are bagging Ty. I, I thought with the ball, I thought some of his carries were quite good, and he just looks more dynamic with the ball than Embi does at one. Yeah, a couple of mistakes, but. You know, when you got Titans, Warriors, Bulldogs into the bye, like I said, that, that is the perfect time to reintroduce the bloke, I think. Oh, you, you know what? You're 100% right. And that's what, that's, that's what was my thing about these kids. Those three weeks that he wasn't playing was those three weeks of learning that he missed. Yeah. Now, I'd rather see Tyrell Sloan make a few mistakes. But like you said, 
first carry of the ball, he created something on the left. You know, he looked dangerous. He looked he looked like breaking tackles all the time. Him and Jaden Campbell going, you know, set for set. Give me that as a Dragons fan every day of the week. Yeah. And Moses, being Moses, just doing his best, but just not giving you nothing. I can handle that. I can handle Tyrell making mistakes. I can handle, you know, Junior, so what, he knocked the ball on in the wet conditions. But we're a development club, Julian. We're not the Roosters. We're not these other clubs. We're only going to be competitive like we were from 99 to 2010 or 2011 is when we develop our own. Yeah. And until we keep doing that and keep persisting with that, that's how we're going to get better. And we are good. We are getting better. I'm, I know it's a hard watch, but we are getting better. Yeah. And we're just going to stick the course. But um, They should have won that game, though. Mate, oh, they they oh, should have won it. Well, I mean, Lomax, yeah. you know, nine times out of ten, he kicks that conversion. There's yeah. the eight-point lead, yeah. a game-set match. And then, you know, the mistakes... Actually, it's a pretty mistake-free game. The completion was really high, and they all sort of got back-ended in golden point, mm. which was which was always tough for us. But, you know, you mentioned there the young players. You might have seen this. I caught this on social media on the Sunday. Arsene Wenger, the great Arsenal coach, said, you pay for the education of young players with points. He says, if I play a 20-year-old centre-back, I know he'll cost me points during the season and I have to stand up for that. A less talented 28-year-old would cost me less points. So, you know, it's an investment. Uh, well, that, that's exactly right. And um, Sam Walker's the classic case. Yep. Sam Walker misses six tackles a game, on average probably. But look what he did to get you. Like, he, he might have cost you a try, but the, the, the good far outweighs the bad. Another subject I wanted to breach, firstly, the Bears in Western Australia, that's a no-brainer, that's a, that's a tick. Don't go New Zealand the second team, mate. The schmozzle that's there at the moment can't get it right. Mm. Don't even think about a second team. And if I said to you that there was one team that was born in 95 that's done bugger all, and another team born in 98 that's in an AFL heartland that's won six grand finals, it's competitive for the last 20 years. The New Zealand team, well, it's been the total opposite. Yeah. So, you know, that's just, don't even go there for New Zealand. That's just la-la Lucci land, that is. <laughs> but uh, the last point I want to make is Sunderland are playing to get another championship on Sunday. Yeah. Now, I'm a Man City man, but I watched that Sunderland tour, I die, Doco, and I loved it. And you think we as Dragons fans or Bulldogs fans, they're upset or the Tigers fans, we're blowing up because we haven't been competitive for, say, a decade. Mm. You've got teams like Sunderland that are never going to win anything in those people's lifetimes. No. no. They're never, they're never going to win anything, Julian. No. And you know what? 40-odd thousand every week. You look at them. Bristol Cities, Port Vales. Millwalls, all these clubs that just are in the tiers of the, apart from those top six, will win nothing. And people, I admire, I just admire the British, the way their fans stick and support. As we know, the US model is if you don't, if you're not competitive, your rich owner just picks that team up from that city. Yep, just and move them somewhere else. Yeah, it's generational. The Very, thing about the thing about the stadium, I lied. I mean, you, from what I've seen in Sunderland till I die is. Just, you see this real working class shipping town and just this 
this modern mm. monument yep. in the middle just stands out like a sore thumb. It's, it's like the jewel in the crown almost. It's like their Sydney Harbour Bridge in the town, isn't it? Basically. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. but I, I, I just admire the fact, like you look at the teams like Burnley, you look at all the, you know, their six successful days for them are basically when they win promotion. Yeah. You know, like, like Bristol City did the other day. That's it. That's all they've got. Mm. They're never going to win anything of note, but I admire the British people. Oh, yeah, the way they support their football and even the way the Poms support the cricket. Like, they're a pain in the ass, but I love the way they support them, you know. <laughs> no disagreement so, for me, mate. It gives you a perspective. Mark, always good to hear from you, mate. I've got to run. Anyway, yeah, if we can't beat the Warriors, care, then I'm, I'm handing back my membership, mate. Oh, please, please. <laughs> no, no, don't do that, Jules. You'll no, right. never. Rock Fair, solid, mate. mate. Thank you, mate. There he is, Mark from Bullingar. Good fella. Real sell us getting Dalton Dragons Radio. Yeah, it is. I don't care. 0457 736 736. Now, Phil Gould, as I mentioned, has spoken tonight on the Nine Network's 100% footy about the goings-on today in the parting company. Of Trent Barrett at Belmore. Here's what Gus had to say. Was there was there going to be a situation where he was going to be pushed if he didn't jump? I, I never envisaged a situation here today where Trent Barrett wouldn't be coaching the Bulldogs tonight and, and into the future. Um, there had been discussions during the week and obviously results and, as you say, um, boards come under pressure and are questioned by members and fans and they're to act for members and fans and sponsors and the like. Um, and there had been discussions, and Trent was well aware of that. I'd kept, it, I'd have kept him informed through the whole process. And I think Friday night's result, we met Friday night, we met Saturday morning, spoke to him again on Sunday, and then by Sunday night he'd made the decision. On, Sunday, on Saturday morning, uh, our captain Josh Jackson joined me in the discussion with Trent just to see how he was going. He was uh, obviously quite... Well, distraught was probably the best word at the way the team had played and, uh, and where they were sitting sort of on the ladder and how the season had unfolded and knowing that there was pressure around this position. But I never expected that that would happen today, even at that meeting. So Josh Jackson had asked as captain of the club to come and speak to the board. He and I were going to talk to the board at one o'clock today. And I don't think there would have been any decision around his coaching. I don't think he would have been sacked, certainly not from our perspective. And uh, Josh Jackson wanted to reiterate to the board the full support that he had and the players had. And Josh Jackson said openly, he said, he's the best coach we've had at Belmore in all my time here. And he's been there for a long time. Uh, but, you know, results are results and it's, you know, it's been difficult for the Bulldogs club because it's been five years of, of failure. Um, they've only won eight games of their last 55, which is a terrible result. Only won three games in 2020, three games last year. Only two from 10 to start the season, although I do think they're going better than they have been in previous years. But the numbers start to add up and then um, questions are asked and Trent just got to the point where... You know, he's probably his family had a bigger influence on him, I think, in this decision. You know, I think he's, he's, he said to me last night that he'd spoken to his wife and kids and they'd probably urged him a little bit to, to take a break and, uh, and not dealing with the pressure. And he was under pressure. You could feel it in him the whole time. And, um, you know, it wasn't, it's not nice to watch when coaches are under that sort of What do you make of that? He said, I'd never envisaged I'd be sitting here with Trent not being the coach. But he's very open. He said uh, there was a lot of pressure around him. The results weren't what they wanted. And he said he made Trent aware that there were discussions going, the board would like to talk to him. But further to that, he said, you know, we thought it'd be a meeting, we'd talk about your role, talk about the results, but he didn't think he'd be sacked. And according to him, he spoke 
to Trent Bower. He said the pressure was getting too much, and Trent said, you know what, maybe he thought he could see the writing on the wall, and I'm going to walk away from this. But for those who are saying it was all Gus as the architect, well, he's saying, well, no, no, no. Didn't want it that way. Was it me? There was definitely pressure. We knew the results were bad, but he thought they were playing better football than they had in the past few years. He had the support of the captain, Josh Jackson, said he was the best coach he's had in his time at the Bulldogs. So better than Des. Make it that what you will. People either believe him or they don't. And I suspect more people are thinking that maybe he's not telling the entire truth there, Phil Gould. But do you take him on his word? He says, no, no. Trent was doing it tough. He felt the pressure. He decided to leave. Gus said, no, I thought he'd stay. and We weren't going to sack him. It was his decision. 0457 736 736. You'll read plenty more about this, plenty more diagnosis, plenty more speculation, plenty more opinion of the role Gus had in the decision by Trent Barrett to quit as a Bulldogs head coach. You're listening to High Ground.